invite you to open a Bible with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is going to be a, a very key text for us this afternoon. Once you have found that, you might mark it, put a little piece of paper there, and actually go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 36 in your Old Testament. We'll come back quickly to 1 Thessalonians in a moment, but 2 Chronicles chapter 36 is the first passage that we will look at together. Thank you for being here this afternoon, especially if you're a, a guest with us visiting like I am. and We have many who are our guests in our assembly this afternoon. Thank you for being here. There are many of you who mean a great deal to me, and I appreciate it. Uh, you're not like brothers to me. You are brothers to me, and I, uh, I truly, truly appreciate the fact that you have spent a little of your busy weekend here being an encouragement to me and to the church here. Hope that you've had a good afternoon so far, and I hope that our time together in God's Word is encouraging to you. We introduced this morning this beautiful idea our theme for the next few days, that I am his and he is mine. We spent some time in our Bible class period just thinking through, that sounds an awful lot like relationship. Well, how can I possibly develop a relationship with someone who lived 2,000 years ago on the other side of the globe? And what is it going to look like to have such a relationship. In our Bible class or our, our morning assembly, we spend some time just focused on him. We focus enough on ourselves. It is always best to focus on him. And what can we learn just from glimpses of who this one is who by his grace is inviting me and you to be able to say, to embrace and, and to live by this theme for our week. I am his and he is mine. It sure does seem to me like at the beginning of a, a long, encouraging hopefully, but a, a long and, and busy week like this, to spend a little bit of time just exploring the why. I mean, why is it worthwhile to dedicate the next five or six days to focusing on him and having a relationship with him, even denying myself, sacrificing things that, that are precious to me? Going back to our Bible class period, why would it ever be a, a good and a worthwhile idea to let him prune me like a a branch of the vine and cut away things that I've invited into my life. Even, even if they're not good for me, I, maybe I'm not ready to let them go yet. Why would I turn control over to him and embrace him, not just as my savior, but as my Lord, as, as my king? Why? What if I just decide, well, he's good for others. I'm not sure yet. For me, why would I be willing to stick my neck out there and try and talk with somebody who doesn't know him? 
the way that I know him? Why invite that sort of awkwardness into my life? And in a, a world of so many choices and alternatives, what about this idea that, well, he's exclusively the one who deserves such a, a place in my life? Why, why not someone else? There are lots of why questions revolving around what we want to do over the course of the next few days. But I want to try and, and just very succinctly give you what sure does seem to me to be the, the, the Bible's answer to that. And there are dimensions of that answer that aren't all that comfortable to talk about. Not the most pleasant things to talk about. Many of the things that we talked about this morning are extremely encouraging. But this is, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I'm pretty sure this is the most sobering, terrifying reality in the universe. Now, that's a big claim <laughs> to say that you think you can know the most sobering, terrifying reality in all of the universe. Because there's a lot of things going on, a lot of things going on in our world right now. We referenced some of those earlier this morning. And, and how can we know what rises above all of them? Especially when there are so many different ideas and so many different things that so many different people are going through. I, I'd really challenge you this afternoon to realize that the most sobering, terrifying reality in the universe is not within you. Whatever it is that that you have going on in your life or what you see in the lives of others that perhaps un unsettles you. It's not cancer and it's not heart disease. It's not Alzheimer's and it's not without you in any sort of way that you can see with your physical eyes or observe perhaps later on this week on the news. It's it's not tornadoes or earthquakes or terrorism or war in Eastern Europe. All of those things are sobering and, and terrifying realities. But this is bigger. And I want to show you using maybe a, a passage of scripture that you wouldn't initially put your finger on. To answer this question. It's there in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And beginning in the 15th verse of the chapter. It's been more than a century. Since the northern kingdom of Israel was decimated by the Assyrians. And, and they weren't just carried off to captivity. They, they were no more. And for more than a century the southern kingdom of Judah endured. And, and there were some bright spots along the way. But we are nearing the end of a long, sad history where prophet after prophet has come and warning after warning has been given and people just decided they didn't want to listen. 
And so the historian documents for us in chapter 36 and verse 15, the Lord, Yahweh, the, the one who is, the God of their fathers sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Speaking of the, the temple in Jerusalem, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people. And I'd encourage you to notice especially this last phrase, until there was no remedy. There are a lot of sad statements in the Bible. A lot of sad summaries in the Bible. But there aren't very many sadder than that. That the Lord loved his people. And the Lord had compassion on his people and wanted the physical dwelling place that he had established among his people to continue. He wanted relationship with his people. And key to any healthy relationship is communication. And God has certainly communicated with his people in the giving of the law and throughout their history in a variety of really encouraging, really inspiring and, and awesome ways. But his people had begun to tune him out to their own devastation and, and destruction. And so he sent messengers warning them about what was going to happen, reminding them of the very covenant that they had entered into with him and the, the, the conditions of that covenant. They had not even stepped foot into the promised land when he told them, if you will walk with me, you will be blessed. But if you turn from me, you cannot even begin to imagine how difficult life is going to be for you. And he was so patient for so long. They grew to the point that they were so tuned out that they despised his word and so hard in their hearts that they would scoff at those who came with a, a message from God until finally the wrath of the one who is rose. I don't know if you've ever noticed that description. I, I, I don't know what sort of awesome natural phenomena you have, have seen in your life. If you have seen giant waves of the ocean rising and slamming against the shore. Or you, you've been in the middle of a terrible tornado where you have seen the most stable structures you've ever 
laid eyes on just lifted up, risen from the ground and, and tossed like ragdolls. I, I don't know if you've ever lived through an earthquake where you've literally watched the earth rise right in front of you. But as terrifying as those things are, that is nothing. Nothing whatsoever compared to the rising of the wrath of God. That is not his natural bent. That is not his desire for how he relates to his people. The, the most often quoted Old Testament verse in all of Genesis through Malachi comes from Moses asking God to show him his glory there at Mount Sinai and, and God responding with words, telling him what, what he is like. I, I am steadfast in my love. I am gracious. I am merciful. I am patient, abounding in steadfast love and, and patience for my people. That, that is who God is. That is the heart that he desires to show to people created in his image. And we see that no more clearly than in his son. Th those glorious attributes of grace and mercy and faithfulness and love and steadfastness. With a face, that's, that's Jesus. But if we do not believe, if, if we do not respect, if we are not mindful of the fact that the same Lord can rise up in wrath, then we don't have a full picture of God. And when that wrath rises, there is no remedy. I don't know what sort of experiences you've had in life where something goes wrong and either you're able to fix it, you and your, your know-how, you, you're able to apply the remedy or maybe it's beyond you so you, you call an expert, that's, that's where I am. I'm not very good at fixing things and so a lot of times I'll have to call someone but I, I, I don't have to look very long before I, I can find someone who knows how to be or to apply the, the remedy to this thing. Maybe you have been in situations or you're you're living right now in the midst of a situation where you realize with maybe your physical body your physical health well there really just isn't a remedy for this other than the resurrection from the dead i've always appreciated one older brother years ago i asked him how he was doing and he said well nothing that a good resurrection can't fix and that uh, that that has has stuck with me. But for the wrath of God. Here it rose against. His rebellious people. 
And if that's the only verse that we have to go on, well, that's that's some bad news. And if in any way, shape, or form that relates to us, that's really bad news. But at the very heart of everything we're talking about this week, as far as being disciples, building this relationship, reminding ourselves of of what our mission is, as we talked a little bit about this morning and we'll continue throughout the week, who we are and whose we are and what this is all about. Well, here at the, the center of it all is the why. And there is such good news, such good news that, It ought to compel us not to ignore the wrath of the Lord. There there are some who try and do that. Really, we we, we only have a few options available when it comes to what we're going to do, how we're going to interact with this wrath of the Lord. Well, maybe maybe I decide just for the foreseeable future, I don't want to think about that. And here you are, you, you... you came into town, and of all the things you could talk about, I haven't thought about the wrath of God in a long time, and, and I'm going to try and respectfully sit the next through uh, sit through the next few minutes of this, but I, I just don't like thinking about this side of God. Well, there are lots of people who have determined the best way to deal with this is, is to ignore it. But you know just as surely as I do that That doesn't change reality. You can go to the doctor and the doctor can give you devastating news and maybe you walk outside and you sit there in in your car and and maybe you just sit there for a while and and you stay quiet for a little. Maybe you cry. Maybe you yell. Maybe you hit the steering wheel. But then you decide, you know what, I'm just going to act like that didn't happen. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not even going to think about it again. I'm just going to move on. Well, perhaps that's one way you choose to cope, but that ignoring it doesn't change reality. We realize that, right? Maybe I choose to to try and downplay it. Why, I I, I hear this idea of something that sure doesn't sound very pleasant, but maybe it's not as bad as it is initially seems. You know, once I get over the initial shock of hearing about wrath rising from God, and and perhaps this is the most sobering, terrifying reality in all of the universe, that sure does sound big, but but maybe if I I just focus on other things and I'll get to that other stuff eventually, maybe take that a little more seriously down the line. But that doesn't change the nature of God's wrath any more than standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and downplaying gravity will change the reality of what happens if you step off the edge of that cliff. I suggest to you the only options available as to how to interact with the wrath of the Lord is to either ignore it or downplay it or to accept the remedy for it. Is your Bible open there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? We started in 2 Chronicles chapter 36 with some really bad news of people who mocked the messengers of God and despised His words and scoffed at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose and there was no remedy. 
But we don't want to ignore the reality of God's wrath and we don't want to downplay the reality of God's wrath. We want to accept the remedy. And for 2,000 years, it's been right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And every single verse or every single word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10 is so very critical. We'll look at the larger context as we go along, but you, you see here, and to wait for his son from heaven. Well, we talked about that son this morning in our assembly. Uh, to wait speaks to what you and, and I are somehow to be involved with and, and participating in. This son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. This is a, an awesome person we are dealing with. And we got a glimpse of his resurrected glory earlier this morning. His name is Jesus. The remedy's name is Jesus. Who delivers present tense. You think about how these people who lived in Thessalonica had never seen him with their physical eyes, never heard him with their physical ears, never touched him with their physical hands. They lived in a different part of the world, and yet in present tense, he is spoken of as delivering, delivering us, not just any one particular group of people, one particular family line of people, one demographic of people. Everybody's invited to this remedy, a remedy for wrath to come. We know what's coming. And I'd really encourage you over the course of this afternoon and over the course of the next few days, as we talk about this beautiful dynamic of I am his and, and he is mine, get the, the why clear in your mind. Why this is urgent. Why this is supreme. Why this is sobering. Why this is terrifying. But why this is also glorious and and gracious and something that we need to be talking about. As, as we mentioned this morning in an age of outrage that, that we as children of God would be reaching out with, with good news. And it really all revolves around this, this really core principle in the Bible that there's nothing amazing about grace if there's nothing serious about sin or fearful about holiness. But if sin is serious, and it is, we, we, we heard echoes of that in 2 Chronicles 36. If God is serious about his holiness, and he is, that's what makes grace amazing. Go with me. You might keep your hand there in 1 Thessalonians 1. We'll come back in just a moment. Go over with me to Romans chapter 1. 
Romans 1, one of the, the clearest warnings, especially in the, the New Testament. We heard that Old Testament summary historically from Second Chronicles chapter 36. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 gives us a, a, a sense of all of this, of his grace and the seriousness of sin and the, the fearfulness of his holiness. In Romans chapter 1 and the 18th verse of the chapter, Paul summarizes much of what he's about to say throughout the letter in the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It is the most sobering, terrifying reality in all of the universe. The wrath of God that we know historically in in 2 Chronicles 36 rose and consumed people who knew better. And now a New Testament writer so much closer to where you and I are in space and time, but also back there we were talking about descendants of Abraham. Now we're just talking about everybody. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth? You keep reading and Paul makes it really clear. God's holiness is awesome. And God's holiness is absolute. It ought to be respected. He is infinitely holy and just and good. And he's going to be true to his own character. And he gives us the choice to shape our own characters. We choose sin and sin is serious and its effects are brutal. Not just for a little while in the short-term ripple effects of, well, I did this and now it's coming back my way, but in the grand scope of things that God's wrath, an expression of His holiness, His righteous hatred of sin, that's what I deserve For my sin. I can ignore that for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. But that doesn't change reality. I can downplay it. But that doesn't change who he is or my predicament. Or I can accept the remedy for it. And so let's go to Galatians chapter 4 in your Bibles. We heard Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10 identify the remedy. And it is not an it. He is a him, a who. Jesus is the remedy. And so could I just walk on our way back to 1 Thessalonians, walk with you through a couple of key principles in Scripture. Let's make... Making all of this urgent. Why is this worthwhile talking about all week long? Well, Jesus, number one, was born to deliver us from the wrath to come. It's Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, where Paul is led by the Spirit to say, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Born of woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Why would anyone need to be redeemed from the law? Well, the only reason that would even be a, 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 a dilemma or a, a pressing need whatsoever is if I'm under the scope of the law and I've broken the law. And if there is a God who has defined for me life the way it was meant to be and, and he's going to hold me accountable, if he's told me about what is right and he, he's told me that he expects me to control myself and he, he's told me that he expects me to realize that one day I'm going to stand before him, he's, he's my judge. And I decide, well, all that's well and good, but right now I'd rather ignore Right now, I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to downplay the seriousness of all of this. I'm under the scope of God's law, and I break it. And what do I deserve? I deserve to be held accountable. And especially when I decide, I don't want to think about that anymore. I don't want to listen to that anymore. I just want to do my own. God, I, I want to act for a while as if you're not even there. He is patient. So incredibly patient with us. But we've heard, 2 Chronicles 36, the time comes when his wrath rises. His son was born to deliver us from that wrath. Galatians chapter 4. His son lived among us to deliver us from the wrath that is to come. It was spoken by an angel before Jesus was even born. Speaking to Joseph, whose mind is just spinning about everything that's going on and what he's hearing. And an angel of the Lord says of Mary, his, his betrothed, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. If we take, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the approach that, well, everybody needs to know about my Jesus. We sang this morning, do you know my, my Jesus? And it's a beautiful question. And we encourage you to make the most of the next few days in inviting people to come face to face with Jesus. But if we do that and we do that and we do that and we never talk about sin. Never talk about the seriousness of sin. Never talk about the wrath of God. Don't you see, even just from this verse, we're downplaying the very reason Jesus was born and why, why he lived and walked among us. Go with me to Romans chapter 5. He died, Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, to deliver us. From the wrath to come. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died. Not for the lovable, not for the respectable, not, not for the people who act as if they have all of their life together when it's really a mess, just like everybody else, else's. He died for the ungodly. We ended this morning with Peter sinned spectacularly. But not so spectacularly that his sin was bigger than Jesus is a savior. Jesus died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. No, perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we deserved to be consumed by the tsunami of his righteous wrath, Jesus died for us. And now it can be said of real life people. You know, sometimes maybe we, we, we downplay this, this connection because we, we weren't there. We didn't see him crucified. Well, these people in Rome didn't either. And yet it is able to be said of them by the power of the gospel. We have been justified. Past tense. When God looks at me because of Jesus I'm justified by his blood. Blood that was shed. Why? It's verse 9. To deliver us from the wrath to come. A few pages over. In Romans chapter 8. He was raised to deliver us from the wrath to come. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? I want you, how many times have you read over that and not really thought about that question? If I, who deserved, past tense, God's wrath have now come in contact with the remedy for the most sober, terrifying reality in all of the universe. What difference does it make what other people think of me? What what difference does it make how I stack up in relation to everybody else? What What difference does it make where I am on the the, the clout scale of modern society? What difference does it make whether or not the the movers and shakers of temporary, so very temporary American culture, how they would look at me and the, the, the way that I am living my life? If I have found the remedy to the most terrifying, sobering reality in all of the universe, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, who died for me. More than that, he was raised. Raised for me. Why? To deliver me from the wrath to come, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you remember the, the last point from this morning? We heard in Revelation chapter 1 that that Jesus has a message and at the very heart of that message, the why behind this week, the the, the why behind everything that we're doing is, he said, behold, I am coming again. He is coming to deliver us from The wrath to come. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 27 and 28. Just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin but to save. 
Save from what? If he's already delivered me, if he's already saved me from my sins, what's he going to save me from now? The wrath of God that is to come. If you take one thing away from our three hours together today, here is the one thing I would love for you to carry away with you. I want you to listen to me really carefully. Everything man made is going to let you down. Everything man made. Sooner or later, everything man made has its weakness revealed. Only Christ will not fail. And so, if that is true, let's end in 1 Thessalonians 1, where I've had you marked your Bibles throughout the afternoon. If that is true, 1 Thessalonians 1 is written... In the meantime, Paul was there with them for a few weeks. He shared with them the gospel. He's he's prematurely torn away from them. And now he's writing to them. And and he's speaking to people who have had their sins washed away. And it's a... In the meantime, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is, is the remedy... To the wrath of God that is to come. In the meantime. We are to humbly receive his word. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father. Your work of faith and labor of love. And steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great goal for Christians of of every era that we would be known for work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. How How do you develop a a personal connection to somebody you've never met? How how can I, 2,000 years after he spoke the words, become a a branch of this vine, the way we were talking about in Bible class? Well, here it is again. You, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In the meantime, humbly Receive the word. Look at verse 7. In the meantime, shine as lights in this dark world. You remember how the church, churches were described this morning in Revelation chapter 1 as, as lampstands. And it's not up to us to make the light or, or make it brighter or dim it. It's, it's our responsibility as, as local churches just to hold it up. Hold it up as high as 
as we possibly can and, and get out of the way and, and, and show people this is something you need to pay attention to. Well, that was going on in Thessalonica, verse 7. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. We have no idea how, how big they were. We have no idea where they were meeting. We have no idea what sort of financial resources they have. We don't know what all of them did for a living, how many rich, how many poor, how many in between there were. There, there is so little we know about these people, but we do know this. They were great examples of this is what discipleship is all about. This is what it looks like to shine as lights in this dark world. Verse 8, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Why? Why so concerned about getting this word out, out of their assemblies, out into the world? Well, because there is a living, one, true God. Verse 9, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living true God. Well, why does that matter so much? Why is it so pivotal that we would do that and then sound forth the word that compelled us to do that? That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I can try and ignore that wrath. I can try and downplay that wrath. But it won't change the reality of that wrath. The only other option is to accept the remedy for that wrath. That is the why behind I am his and he is mine. Drawn straight out of that song that, that we so often sing, in Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. His gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. May that not be true of anyone in this room this afternoon. Because as we will see throughout this week, it is a tremendous blessing for me to be able to say, well, well, he is mine. He's, he's my God. He's, he has defined my way. 
the, the, the truth that I'm walking according to. He's, he's the object of my hope. But to be able to say, I am his. He's not ashamed of me. He doesn't shake his head at me from heaven and, and just wonder when in the world I'm going to get my act together. I'm not just a servant. I'm not just an object of his creation. I'm a, an adopted son or daughter. I am his. And if the wrath of God is the most sobering, terrifying reality in all of the universe, the greatest hope we could possibly have is standing before that judgment seat and seeing perfectly holy God who has every right to give us what we deserve and having his own son who who shed his blood for our foolish selfish sins step in the middle and say I know what he earned I know what she deserves but she is mine I am his. What could you ever have, ever enjoy, that's worth more than that? And it is available freely to all. When people in Acts chapter 2, for instance, came face to face with, we killed the Son of God, and they asked, what shall we do? The answer was not, well, you're going to get what's coming to you. It's only a matter of time before the wrath of God rises up and consumes you. They were told, repent. Leave sin behind. Be baptized in the name of this Jesus who died for you and have those sins washed away. Because he is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. If we can help you in any way in responding to him, beginning to build a relationship with him this afternoon, if, if you could just use prayers of people who love God and want to help you before this assembly breaks up this afternoon. If in any way we can be of any help, would you let us know how by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?